it's Kirsty here. We're over halfway through this series now and the volunteers that put this show together want to come back for another. We're asking you for £5 so we can keep unpicking the economics that shapes the news and our lives. Thanks to everyone who's already helped, that's including lovely Linda from Merseyside, uh, generous Jerry from Kilcoddy, and our furthest international giver, Jamie, in New Zealand. Hey, Jamie, thanks for listening. Um, if you haven't given yet... Don't worry, there's still time. Uh, please go to neweconomics.org forward slash podcast to give £5 or whatever you can afford. Ten episodes for just £5. That's good economics in anyone's book. Right, on with the show. The flight of the bird, so effortless and graceful, has led man since the dawn of time to turn his gaze with longing to the skies. But his dream of soaring above the clouds was not to be realised without weary centuries of experiment and failure. It's pretty much the worst thing you can do as an individual for your own carbon footprint. You could start forest fires, and that's worse. Hello, my name is Kirsty Styles, and welcome to the weekly economics podcast brought to you by the New Economics Foundation. Last week, we chatted to the guys over at Sustainable about energy policy and the COP climate talks. This week, we are talking to Leo Murray from the campaign A Free Ride. He's talking about airport expansion in the UK and its link to the economy. Britain's giant air terminal at London Airport is rapidly being developed into the finest in the world. Almost from the moment Heathrow opened, there's been talk of building more runways as the economy's grown. It is important now that there's a very detailed report that we studied. I just don't think that you can do this kind of thing in 21st century Western European society. The economic benefits of expanding Heathrow are much greater than any other option. So, hello, Leo. Welcome to the weekly economics podcast. Hello, Kirsty. You're here to talk about airports and flying. Uh, and I can assure you that the reason that I look so disgusting today is because I've just got back uh, on a flight from Helsinki. And that smell, in case you're interested, is my inevitable flying guilt. Uh, so <laughs> um, there has been a lot of talk over the years uh, about airports, uh, including the Boris Island, lol, um, and especially about uh, Heathrow uh, and a new runway and how we need to create jobs and boost our economy. Can you update us on where we we're at with London's capacity problem. Yeah, so the capacity problem is um, is you know their framing and it's it's not technically accurate. But um, where we are at is that prior to the 2010 election, um, David Cameron recognised that there was um, there was political capital to be gained in opposing expansion at Heathrow Airport. So he issued his no ifs no buts edict. The technical terms were no expansion at Heathrow during the last Parliament. So they've managed to do that, yeah, (laughs) box ticked. Um, But how he managed to fend everybody off was by uh, initiating this thing called the Airports Commission. So he appointed a chap called Howard Davies to look into the issue of um, airport capacity in the southeast. So he spent years doing that, much longer than he needed to. And, you know, he he said this. He said, well, you know, people were asking him, "Why, why have you still not published your report? And um, he said, well, I've, I've been asked to publish it after the 2015 election. Uh, so, um, Howard. So, yes. Yeah, so he so he waited until uh, until, you know, um, until he'd been asked to report, which he finally did. No Boris Island on there. So Boris cross about that. Um, two options for Heathrow and one at Gatwick. 
And that, those were his shortlisted options, which he spent the last bit of a period looking at. He decided on Heathrow, so he picked one of the Heathrow options. So that's what that's what Howard Davies has recommended. Okay, so there's been a big national debate going on for years, actually, about how to make our airports bigger so they can handle more flights. Why have governments, including recent Labour ones and this current Conservative one, been so keen to do this? Well, it's partly the sort of mythic status of, um, of flying. It doesn't really... Its effect on the economy is very equivocal. Um, Britain, mostly, most of the flights that we take are British people going on holiday to spend money elsewhere. So, uh, uh, you know, the economic argument in favour of airport expansion is very tendentious. It, it, it rests on um, the need for new flights to emerging economies. You know, tourism, quite a lot of people visit London. But as you can imagine, not that many people fly into Doncaster Airport from um you know, from Lisbon or wherever uh, to visit Doncaster. So um, mostly what happens with air travel in the UK is British people taking their money abroad and spending it abroad. So we've got something like a £13 billion um, annual tourism deficit in the UK, which is the balance of payments between tourists coming here, spending money in the British economy or British people going and spending their money elsewhere. So it's slightly curious that they've been so enthusiastic about it. You know, there's not really a good economic case for pushing for airport expansion. Okay, so uh, for those who don't know, Doncaster is the home of Hangus the Monkey, uh, who was formerly the football mascot and then the mayor. So if you you should get get up to Doncaster right away, don't fly. We'll come under that in a second. (laughs) Um, uh, So the Airport Commission, as you said, is run by Sir Howard Davis, uh, recommended, as you've uh, already outlined, a third runway at Heathrow. But the government could still choose to expand to Gatwick. Which do you think is the best option? (laughs) Neither option is tenable. If what we're trying to do is meet our targets under the Climate Change Act, then uh, expansion at Heathrow or expansion at Gatwick is an academic question because it's bound to break our carbon budgets. We have to stop expanding the number of flights coming in and out of um, Britain's airports. You know, air travel is, it represents a, a uniquely difficult problem for people trying to solve climate change because uh, most things in the economy, there are kind of alternative ways of doing those things which are much lower carbon. That's simply not true for flying. The only way to reduce emissions effectively from flying is to do less of it. In Britain, we have a particular problem, uh, which is that we already do an awful lot of flying and there's simply no space in the carbon budgets to accommodate any more of it. Okay, that sounds like a bit of a, I guess, a a kind of unpopular answer in the sense that it is kind of stop flying. Uh, As you know, I've literally just come back on a plane from Helsinki. Does that make me a terrible person? Well, here is the problem that we have. Flying is excellent. Um, You know, it's not excellent. It's awful. I hate it. (laughs) It's but what it brings to us, the social benefits, it's pretty amazing. It's basically a miracle of technology. It's a miracle of the of the modern age. These people are embarking on a 7000 mile journey to South Africa. The once remote places which yesterday were the goals of the record breakers are today regular ports of call. And, um, you know, actually, if you look at if you look at the social demographic of people who fly a lot, it's often the people who are most switched on to environmental issues and most concerned about climate change. Um, there's quite a strong correlation between flying frequently and concern, expressed concern about climate change. You know, it gives you... Uh, it expands your horizons and uh, opens you up to other cultures, new experiences, um, you know, exploring the natural world. It's pretty amazing. But the downside is 
there isn't a way to do it that doesn't cause absolutely loads of climate change. It's pretty much the worst thing you can do as an individual for your own carbon footprint. You could start forest fires, and that's worse, but... <laughs> It's the only thing, you know, when I was campaigning with Plain Stupid, we did a, we did a, we tried to work out what else is, is in that same league. And uh, yeah, unless you're going around regularly starting forest fires, then taking flights is, is the worst thing that um, anybody does. So do we all have to stop flying then? No, is the answer to that. For a start, British people have a grossly distorted sense of, of kind of the centrality of flying to our lives, right? When you look at who is flying? Okay, most people in Britain, so half of us don't fly at all in a given year, uh, 90% of the British population are taking no flights, one flight or two flights each year. That's normal flying behaviour. That's, that's what most people want out of flying. They want to be able to take an annual foreign holiday in the sun. That's not primarily what's causing the problem. It's the other 10, 15% of people who together are taking... F- um, 70% of all the flights by UK residents. Uh, okay, so um, what do you suggest that we do about this then? Well, a lot of people will be listening to this and thinking, well, that's business people, you know, that's business people making essential trips to um, foreign factories and things like this. It's not. It's only about 11% of flights by UK residents, international flights by UK residents, are business flights now. Nearly all of these flights are leisure flights. The vast proportion of those are short-haul leisure flights. So that's what's congesting our airports. The problem doesn't sit with people taking their annual family holidays and it doesn't, it doesn't sit with, you know, gap year students. And it actually, surprisingly, doesn't sit with international business people either. The problem is primarily one of the wealthier sections of society buying second homes abroad and just normalising um, behaviours in their lives that involve an awful lot of flying, you know, weekend mini breaks and things like that. Do you have a, a solution for all of this? Um, I'm, I'm loving and hating the stats at the same time. But Yeah, so I spent years campaigning against runways and, um, you know, I learned that people don't really like new runways, but they do want to be able to take regular foreign holidays by plane. So you have to find a way to square that circle. Unless we manage demand for air travel, we're going to break our carbon budgets and The current tax arrangements for air travel are deeply fiscally regressive. They basically reward rich people for doing activities which um, harm everybody else, which, you know, impose a lot of social costs. So my proposal after nearly 10 years of sort of being involved in this issue, my proposal is um, for a frequent flyer levy. So that would let everybody in the UK take one tax-free flight each year. Now, that's as much as most people want. Um, So most people will benefit from that proposal. After your first flight, though, tax kicks in and then continues to rise incrementally with each additional flight you take thereafter. So essentially you're saying we should stop rich people from flying as much and we'll solve this problem. But you've kind of already identified that they're rich enough that it won't deter them anyway. So (laughs) there are two two things um, to say in response to that. One is... That's why applying a blanket increase in price to all plane tickets, it's extremely difficult to use that to manage demand for air travel to safe limits. What I'm proposing is a continually rising price, which means that by the time you're taking nine flights, even people who are very wealthy will be will be thinking twice about how much tax they're having to fork out for the privilege. Ah, cumulative. You know, yeah. the point is to um, to change the behaviours of uh, what 
what get called hypermobile travellers, the people who are flying literally hundreds of times each year because they've bought second homes, you know, people who are commuting in and out of um, of London, which is increasingly common. So, you know, they're the ones who are driving up our average. They're the ones who are driving demand. Having something that continually rises is actually a much more effective way of using it to manage demand than having a blanket price increase. The second thing is that the tax regime at the moment is very fiscally regressive. We're just not taking enough tax from the wealthy people who are indulging in this leisure activity. So, you know, it's got a very high cost to society and it should be more highly taxed. So the proposal, if you actually, if you calibrate it to deliver on the outcomes that we're looking for here, so managing demand to within safe limits, it brings about twice as much money into the exchequer as their passenger duty. So, you know, more money for the public purse, controlling air travel to within safe limits. Cool. Sounds great. Well, um, rest assured that I will sleep uh, uneasily tonight. Uh, But thank you very much (laughs) for highlighting some of those ridiculous statistics um, around flying. I might start the Visit Doncaster campaign. Uh, Yeah, you know, keep people in in the UK, just have some nice train train trips to Doncaster, you and me, Liam. (laughs) That needs some thought, I think. (laughs) Right, thank you very much. No problem. Thanks, Cassie. Thanks, as always, for listening. And remember, please help us come back for another series at neweconomics.org forward slash podcast. Music for the Weekly Economics Podcast is provided by Poddington Bear. We'll be back at the same time next week. The Weekly Economics Podcast is brought to you by the New Economics Foundation, an independent think tank and charity that campaigns for a fairer, sustainable economy. Find out more and get involved at neweconomics.org.